We're going to carry on in the book of Acts together, and Ollie's just going to lead us through in, in Acts chapter 11. Hey, we don't usually do this, but let's give him a big round of applause, shall we? That was um, Andy. That was a really beautiful moment, just going into the middle to do breaking bread like that. I think it's nice, isn't it? We try and um, try and chat through dynamics and bits and pieces that happen on on Sunday morning meetings. But sometimes the best bits are just when you just say, "Oh Lord, I think you're just drawing us towards this." And um, we love we love that opportunity to be able to say, "God, what are you doing in this place?" And um, and so to spot those moments and just see the church, it, I was standing there, I was loving it, just watching everyone's faces, just turning towards that direction, saying, "That is the centre of what we're about." Comes this place of encounter and knowing God. He's our great provider. He's the one who's done it all on our behalf. And so um, yeah, to do that. And and again, if you're if you're a visitor here, that is always going to be at the centre of what we're about. You know, so many things that are beautiful about this church, but I think its true, most attractive part and the thing that's most beautiful about it is Jesus. It's our great saviour. He's, um, he's much more attractive than any of you. <laughs> so, um, you know, pray. apart from Richard James, you know, who clearly is the best looking amongst us. Um, <laughs> if you don't know Richard, get to know him. <laughs> he's taken though, happily married, you know, well to. So, um, okay, come on. Right. I'm going, to spend, um, I'm going to spend a few minutes, I just want to catch up story of where we're at. It's one of the beautiful parts of looking at Acts and looking at this, this incredible book. It's kind of one of the reasons that we did it off the back of Joshua. Again, very much narrative story, what's happening to God's people in the Old Testament as they entered into land after they leave Egypt. Acts, very much what is happening to God's people when they're scattered from the place of of Jerusalem and knowing Christ and how does the good news message of who Jesus is spread to the ends of the earth and so very narrative story and um and I won't know I won't give it away but we're thinking what we're going to do next and again looking where does this story continue on to it's the amazing thing of the good news of the gospel it's a it's a story that encapsulates all of human history all of humanity every king and queen and prince and royalty has been caught up in the greatest story of our true king that goes before us and so we're going to spend just maybe I don't know 10 minutes 15 minutes looking at the story of where we're at in Acts but then I want to I want to kind of take the part of where we're at to really say this church gets highlighted called the Antioch church and I do, I feel like God wants to say to us this morning, we're called to be an Antioch church as well. There's something about the way that this church functioned and operated in the purposes of God that I think we're called to mirror and replicate um, and, and, and to still look like here on the south coast of England today. So um, a few little bits that we'll pull across. So we're sort of, we're in like Acts 10. We got, and it's funny, I got, they stitched me right up. You know, I, I could talk for ages anyway I'm a chatter so I could talk for a long time they give me like nearly three chapters of, of text so um so I've tried to condense squeeze the story into this so let me let me give it so far this is the story that we've had Jesus dies Jesus resurrects Jesus spends time with his disciples and then he ascends to glory and they see this they ascend him ascending to glory and he says one day I will return same way that you see me leave I will come back and as he does so, though, he says to his disciples, those gather with him, I'm commissioning you to stay here and to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which is going to equip you to then go to the ends of the earth. So stay, wait for my Holy Spirit to come. What happens? They're empowered by the Holy Spirit and they're sent out. That's Pentecost. 
It's the great story of God's people encountering the presence of God. They've seen rise Christ Jesus from the grave. They've seen stories of the way that the Holy Spirit works amongst them. And now they receive that same power in and through their lives to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. As a result, empowered people display signs, wonders, strong loving community with each other. They share all that they have in common. People start to take notice of this Jesus thing. They start saying, we thought this would all end once he died, yet it seems to be gaining momentum and traction. What is going on here? Why hasn't this thing stopped? But it's because they're displaying what it means to be followers of Christ, that Jesus Christ is still alive today. And they're displaying it into the world that they live in. And as a result, it gains momentum. Followers are reminded of God's holiness. They're reminded through stories like Ananias and Sapphira. This God is holy. He's set apart. His greatest desire for me is not what I would do for him, but that I would give myself to him fully and completely. I'd be set apart for God's. For no other God, I'm not going to serve anyone else now. It's him and him alone that I'm going to worship. And because they're distinct, again, people join them. You might think, well, that's one way to kill it. <laughs> you know, just be, become more and more distinct. No, our distinctness is a thing that people see. We're different. The people of God are different and they're drawn towards it because they see that they love one another and they see that they love him. In doing so, the thing grows. And as it grows, they realise we've got to appoint leaders, we've got to appoint deacons, we've got to recognise people to care for and look after this big growing organisation, this beautiful thing that we're calling the church. And they start to spread out. They start to appoint leaders and deacons and elders in localities and locations and start to say, we're going to start churches that are going to display the love of God in and through the world that we're called to go and live in. And as they do so, the rulers again think, right, I'm fed up with this. We thought killing Jesus would stop it. Let's kill them. Let's start to try and kill them. Let's try and crush all that they're doing. Let's, let's, try, and, let's try and stop the flow and momentum of what's going on in this church. And so Stephen becomes the very first of one of these martyrs that's killed because of his faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And then we get to the bit in the story that we had a couple of weeks ago. One of the most unexpected people gets converted. This Saul becomes Paul. He meets and encounters Christ for himself on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden, they're saying, if this guy can get transformed, this thing is never going to stop. It's alive. The church is alive. The people of God are alive. We can't stop it. Nothing we try can eliminate and extinguish this flame that has started to burn in Jerusalem. But what happens? And Andy said it beautifully last week. It's too small a thing to just say, oh, isn't it great that we just have it in this one little place? It's too small a thing. It's too small a thing to, in, in, to encapture God and just say, great, we'll just keep you here, nice and safe in this place. Because the good news is good news for the world. It just wants to spread. It wants to travel out. It wants people to be caught up into it. And praise God, because it even made its way to sunny Eastbourne. <laughs> You know, it travels out to the ends of the earth and actually Jerusalem shifts. That's where we're at now. Chapters 10 and 11, we start to notice that the shift of the power, the center of the gospel is shifting out of Jerusalem. What was once a very strong Jewish movement of Jews saying, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. This is the Messiah that was always promised to us. We waited for him and now he's here. It starts to shift because actually the Jews saw fulfillment of their hope. They were waiting for this promise to come and many Jews started to say, I see that this hope has now arrived. And they put their faith and trust in him. The Messiah has now come. 
But now non-Jews are catching wind of it too. The non-Jews are starting saying, I want in on this. I want to get to know this great Jesus. And it begins with thieves on crosses and it begins with centurions kneeling down at the foot of the, of the cross and saying, he's the son of God. Because people are now caught and captivated by who this Jesus is. And many are coming to faith. And what's interesting, we're going to read it in Acts 11 in a bit. Actually, this is the first time that people get called Christians in Acts 11. It's the first time when a distinction comes between just being Jews that believed in Jesus, Jews that had seen fulfillment of their hopes and promises to a distinctness of saying, actually, we're going to call them Christians. That was a derogatory term, really. Little Christs, your little followers of Jesus. And they thought that might put them off. I wear the mark of a Christian with pride today. I love it. I love telling people. I'm not just, you know, Ollie Stevens, born in Croydon, supports Crystal Palace. That isn't the only distinguishing features of who I am. Thank yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> I know, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love him. And we still say that today. We wear it and we say, we're so, with pride, I'm his. So what starts to happen? Let's read it together a little bit because... Otherwise, you're just you're taking my interpretation of what's going on here. So this is chapter 10. These are the words of 44 to 48. And um, this is this. While Peter, who again, one of these early church leaders, was speaking these words, what came upon him? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon all those who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, <laughs> even on those non-Jews. Now, if I was being really crass, even with those with foreskins, even they, I know it's rude, but that's what it was. Even those got the Holy Spirit poured out upon them. And yeah, I just said foreskin in church twice. <laughs> then Peter responded. I know, I missed a bit. For they heard them speaking in tongues. <laughs> And declaring the greatness of God's. They can't help it. They can't keep it to themselves. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. It's breaking out. Do you know, in Eastbourne, there were more, I, I contacted out to the other churches that I know, got a little WhatsApp group that we pinged each other in. I wondered if people would be worried when I first sent the message, because I said, I'm preaching on Sunday, how many baptisms have you had in the last year? And I needed to put like a little bracket in there to say like, I'm not checking up on you, I'm not trying to work out like who's won. <laughs> That's not the point of this text, I just want to find out. And it was lovely, because people just pinged me back, there were more than 100 baptisms across Eastbourne in the last year. It's amazing. We just play our part in that. We just play our part in trying to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And when we see signs, actually they receive the good news of the gospel and the Holy Spirit upon, comes upon them. We say, why would I withhold water from you? <laughs> You're the same. I needed this. You needed it too. We find the same repentance of sins in Christ Jesus. That's what Martin shared this morning. We all need him. He's the one with authority. And if he says, let him in, who am I to withhold it? Because he says, welcome. And he draws them into himself and he forgives. And praise God, there has been salvation across our town in this last year 
But it's too small a thing to say, oh, isn't it good? It's too small a thing because this thing grows. Can't help it. You cannot control the work and promises of God. You can't stop. You can't eliminate. You can't put out the flame of the gospel. It's alive today. And it's still saving and rescuing the most unexpected of people. I bet out of those hundreds, people that are being baptized, there were stories that you would have said, no way should that person have come to faith in Jesus. Now, I spent time at a wedding yesterday with people who uh, recovering drug addicts that are putting their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And you might say, no, nah, gospel's not for them. It's for nice people. It's for posh people. It's for polite people. It's for people who can sound their T's and their H's. Hmm, I can, I can, okay. But it is, it's good news and you can't stop it because people meet and encounter Jesus and he welcomes them to himself. See, and then the funny bit is, is it carries on into, into chapter 11 a little bit. What happens? They question whether this Gentile salvation is for real. So some of the, the, the circumcision party, that sounds like a fun party, doesn't it? But you know, that, that party turn up and they ask questions. They're like to Peter, really? Like, are we sure? Can you, are you sure these people have come to faith and hope in Christ? That's, that's, as I was thinking, I was thinking, that's still true today. You know, I still get people, are you sure that person's really saved? Are you sure? And you know, we, we, we want to wait, we want to watch because the gospel always bears fruit in people's lives. It always does. True faith and repentance always transforms us because something begins in us that changes who we are. But let's not be at this place where we're just sitting and watching. And, really? Are you sure they're saved? Are you sure they've put their hope and trust in Jesus? As simple as believe. I trust you, Lord. You're my king. So this is happening in 11, verse 17 and 18. They're saying things like, if then God gave them the same spirit that he also gives to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, how could I possibly hinder God's? And when they heard these things, this circumcision party, the Jews that are watching, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. You can't deny it. Something is going on here. They're starting to see it. They're starting to see what goes on. And then actually, again, what's amazing is when life starts to take place, this is the verses immediately after 17 and 18. So they've just said, are you sure these people are being saved? They see signs of the work of the grace of the gospel in and amongst them. They say, how can we hinder what God's doing? I can't inhibit it. I can't stop it. And I, I think that a lot about our church and the sort of church that we want to be. I can't hinder what God's doing ultimately. I've got to get out of the way sometimes. God gives space for what God's trying to do in and through us as people. And then straight immediately after what happens to it, verse 19, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution had started, had, because of Stephen, made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the words to no one except Jews. So again, there's this group of, of, of Christ followers that have been scattered out because they've seen the martyrdom of Stephen and they're worried that they're going to be killed next and they scatter and they go. And it's fascinating because you might say, well, that was bad for the church, the scattering, but what does the purposes of God do? Because you can't hinder the purposes of God. God says, I'll use that scattering. 
I'm going to scatter these people to the nations like a dandelion just being blown on. These seeds are now going to go. And wherever the seed lands, the gospel is going to bear fruit and church is going to pop up. And so they go, they scatter out of that place. And you know, praise God. I just want to thank every Ukrainian that's here this morning. It is a joy to have you here with us today. And I know it will, it, oh man, I can't even imagine what it must feel like to have been scattered and persecuted and sent out and said, I can't be in my home anymore. But praise God, because while you're here, I believe that God uses it for his plans and purposes. I want to pray that there'll be much salvation in and through Ukrainians that are scattered around the world as followers of Jesus, because you can't hinder the purposes of God's. No one can. It doesn't matter the plans and purposes that we make and the things that we try to put in place because he is sovereign. He's the Lord's. He is seated on the throne and he works in and through every trial and tribulation and circumstance of life for his plans and purposes. So praise God and we know you are so welcome. We love you. Um, there you yeah. And so they do, they start to be scattered with purpose for the things that God's doing. And then they start to begin to chat with Jews. And as it carries on, they start to actually talk to some of the Greeks as well. Think actually, maybe we'll chat to some Greeks about the good news of the gospel. And they start to find that actually it starts to bear fruit. And then you get this amazing character that just pops up here called Barnabas. Barnabas is an absolute dude. I don't know how else to say it. He just is. I've said it a number of times, like, there are fountains and there, there are drains in the world and Barnabas is a, is a fountain. He is just, he's a son of encouragement. People just love spending time with him. And the, the thing that I just love about what Barnabas does is Barnabas then goes out and he finds Saul. And let's, let's think back. So when, when Stephen dies, who's watching on when Stephen's been martyred for his faith? Saul. Saul's one of the people that have actually scattered the people that end up, because of the persecution of Saul, end up being scattered into the earth. And then who does Barnabas say, I know who we could bring over to all these scattered Christians that are now there. Let's bring the bloke that scattered him in the first place. You know, if there was ever a naive optimist and an encourager, that's Barnabas. Because he just thinks, God's done something in him. I'm bringing him in. I'm drawing him into these people. And then the beautiful thing is, these people in the church in Antioch that we're going to read about, they welcome Paul, the, the persecutor, the, outs, the, the, one that they, the one that was the fear bringer, the one that sent them and scattered them out. And they say, right, we'll bring him in. We'll love him into this church. And he does. He, Barnabas just starts to spot, and it says in verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God's, he was glad, and Barnabas, encourager, and encouraged all of them to remain true to the word, to the Lord with devoted hearts. For Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. See, Barnabas spots what God's doing. He joins in, he participates in it. But the beautiful thing is he sees the grace of God at work, and then he gives thanks. He sees it. He says, I give thanks for what God's doing in this place because the grace of God bears fruit in people's lives. It's amazing. Stay devoted. Stay close to God. Rely on his daily grace. David, would you wake up and read every morning? You and Lilius gave me the book, didn't you? Just, you know, words of grace that we want to wake up. Every day, prayers of receiving the goodness and grace of God. Because what does it do? It bears works in our life. It bears fruit in our life of what the gospel is doing. So, 
And this is, this is where we're at in the story. I'm going to pause here and I'm going to bring a couple of little things I think God wants to say to us as a church about being an Antioch church. But I'm skipping over the whole of chapter 12. And all I will say to you is chapter 12 is fun. So if you want, go and read chapter 12. The reason it's fun is, um, and actually, Graham, I remember you're a big fan of this, I think. Do you remember Prison Break? Did you, you watch Prison Break, bits and pieces? Did anyone else watch Prison Break? Did it, what, I can't remember what the good-looking guy was in it, but maybe you watched it for other reasons. But, you know, I remember that's why Wendy often wanted to watch it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it will, yeah. Um, but chapter 12 is just, you think Prison Break's a good TV series? Chapter 12 is just this amazing story of basically Prison Break going on. You know, this is like the second out of three Prison Breaks that happened during the book of Acts. And um, this one involves an angel and a girl in quite a humorous way she basically doesn't even really believe that Peter's been released from jail and so she wanders back into the house and she forgets that he's at the door and she just leaves him there and you think this poor guy has just avoided and come out of prison and now he turns up at the door and the next thing yeah spoiler sorry I've killed it for you don't bother reading it now um but she does, she like wanders into the house. She's like, you're not even going to believe who's at the door. And they're like, have you just literally left him at the door? Yeah, yeah, I just left him at the door. And poor Peter just, you know, still knocking. You know, I've actually just escaped jail and you're now leaving me out in the cold by the door. Anyway, so um, it, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel though, or the beauty of the Bible. Like, it's, it's fun. There's interesting bits that are in there. It's, an in, it's a fun story to read. So chapter 12 is a great way to do it. Um, but then he comes to this part. So then he talks about this Antioch church. It's where we're going to focus towards the end of chapter 11 and these last few verses that are there. What's interesting is that the book of Acts is written by a character called Luke. And Luke is actually from Antioch. Now you might think, oh, that's why he gives Antioch such a big up because it's his hometown. But I think there's this beautiful bit where Luke was saved in this church. He, got, he, he was part of these people and he gets this little opportunity to talk about the church that he loves, that, he, that he, he was received into. And he saw something of the way that the church operated in this place that he feels worthy of drawing our attention towards. And I think for us still as followers of Jesus today to say, there is much to learn about the way that the Antioch church operated that we're still called to be like today. You see, Luke commends his church to us. He invites us to make a model of it for our own church here today. And actually what we're going to find is in these next few chapters, really the shift moves from Jerusalem as the centre of the story to Antioch as the centre of the story, where the gospel spreads out around the Mediterranean. So I think there's a bit of a slide here, just so you get a bit of geography. Is there a, yeah, there you go. So Antioch's just up here top of Syria that's there across from Cyprus and the gospel starts to spread out from this place all the way across Turkey starts to spread out across the Mediterranean and you're going to find that some of its leaders come from a place Cyrene which is just over here top of Libya next to Egypt and it draws people from all over the Mediterranean from all different tribes and nations and languages and backgrounds and it becomes a bit of a center of this great Gentile movement because no longer is it just for this one ethnic group of Jews that were sent in Jerusalem down in you see where it says Palestine there in Jerusalem it now starts to say actually this message breaks out and it starts to welcome people that are all different diversity and it celebrates that diversity but it lands it in this absolute unity of the gospel and who God is that's a beautiful model for us to lean into today here's some things that you notice so when you start to read about it 
when you start to see what Antioch is like, you realise that they're not limited. And, and this is great. Like, again, I'd encourage you. If, if you read through the Bible, sometimes just grabbing a good commentary to read alongside it and things that draw your attention towards what's going on in the story is good. And this is it's a little brilliant one that I love reading, some of Phil Moore's commentaries. They're called Straight to the Heart Stuff. They're great. They, just, they open up the, the story that's going on there for you. And so some of this is lifted directly from Phil's observations. And I love it because he just spots out these three things about the Antioch church. And he says, they're not limited by, number one, their leadership, They're not limited by who they and how they release leadership and who they call into roles and responsibilities within the church. They make sure that they don't just hold on to it as one sole itinerant pastor that travels around doing it all on everyone else's behalf. That's not the model that Luke sees and that's not the model that the book of Acts celebrates to us. It says this is a body of believers This is a group of people devoted to Christ. It's a group of people who bring all that they have and they're released and they're encouraged and they're equipped and they're sent out to go and be missionary all that they do. So they don't just build it around, great, it's one person's job. And we'll just wait for that one person to get on with doing it. They're not limited by their leadership. And I'm going to mention some more on that in a minute. They're not limited by their diversity. They're not worried about the fact that they have all these different nationalities and, and people arriving and, and different economic, social economic backgrounds. They're not worried about whether these are new believers or, or old believers. They're not worried about whether these are Jews or Gentiles that are being born in. They celebrate their diversity and they welcome all and envelop them into what the church looks like. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing for us again to see and to celebrate and say, Lord, do that in us. We want to be a church that, that is just like this Antioch church, eh, Clive? Remember you said it to me when you first came back, we're an Antioch church. It's what we want to be like. It's what we want to see. It's what we want to model. We want to follow this and we want to display it to the world that we live in today. And then the final one that I'm going to spend a bit of time on is they're not limited by their vision. They know that God's purposes are always beyond that that they see. So easy for vision to shrink. So easy to say, oh, let's just keep this. It's nice. They're not limited by the vision or the call of God's. They know we want to respond to all that God's doing. So the amazing thing is, is whatever the vision requires, they give to it. They serve it. They send. They release. They give their best towards it as well. Because they see that God has a great vision. That one day every tongue and tribe and nation will gather to the throne room of God. And that every people will be changed and transformed by the good news of the gospel. And they don't want to hold on to it. They don't want to spoil this beautiful thing by trying to keep it for themselves. They let go, they release. Their hands are open. I think, again, people like Barnabas, they set that culture into this church. And this church is beautiful in the way it does it because it's a releasing church. It doesn't try to hold on tightly. It releases and lets go of all that God wants to do in and through it. So let's look at each of these things. Leadership. So... One of those bits that I mentioned earlier, one of the things that they notice in leadership, do you remember I said like Saul, this Saul of Tarsus, this Christian hater that had driven out some of them, had driven them out of Jerusalem to have to go and live in places like Antioch. That wasn't even their home. Maybe they didn't want to live there, but they'd been driven out of their home to be in this place by people like Paul who had done so. But actually they welcomed them in because they recognised God's rescued and saved this person, we're going to bring them in. We're going to bring them into the purposes. And then what you notice about this part is they've got this great mixing. Sometimes you hear it said like Ephesians 5 ministries. 
these gifts that the church, that they love to receive. God loves to build up his church. And he knows that he can't just do it through one or two gifts. He does it through bringing this mixture of gifts into it. And their leadership team is full of these giftings they've got. So they have a church that is full of pastors, people who care, people who love, people who stand alongside, people who shepherd. They have apostles who arrive. And you see like a Paul, an apostle of the Lord's who arrives in this place. And the, the apostles, as they arrive in that place, they welcome them to say, God's called you to this. You can't just settle. You can't stay as you are. This is God's began a thing in you for purpose and intention. And they receive that apostolic speaking into the life of their church. They receive prophets. You see it towards the end of chapter 11. The prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted that the spirit, that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman worlds. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. And they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. They received the prophetic. They wanted to hear what God was saying to them. They didn't want to just get caught up in what they were getting on with. They said, we need to hear what God's speaking live and active into the life of our church as well. But the beautiful thing is they didn't just receive the, the prophetic, they acted on it. When the prophets turn up and says, there's going to be famine in the lands, they collected, they took all they had and they gave. I, just, I want to thank you again as a church for the way you responded when we had that Love Eastbourne gift a few years ago, a couple of years ago. We've been able to give like 45,000 pounds away locally to people because of the generosity of the church that said, we see famine that's arriving. We see need that's presenting itself. And so we need to come to the church. And I promise you, I didn't come through one wealthy individual just drops off a big check. It came through everyone collectively giving in to all that was there. Again, when we did our Love Our World thing, again, to have nearly 50,000 pounds that we're giving away to the world that we live in generosity just flows out of the life of the church and that is a deep-rooted culture in the life of this church but again we want to do it in response to the prophetic call of God and I do I believe as a prophetic call to us we are this ain't even hard to see it but God says and again beautiful like little just tweet that I read the other day in dark winters the Christmas gospel becomes even more significant we need it. We are living in hard times. The church needs to stand up and to shine the light into darkness and to speak words of hope. So we need to respond to the prophetic time that we find ourselves in, read what's going on around us in the world, have our eyes open to need and say, God, how can we respond today? Where is the famine in the lands that you're calling us to respond to? So we will again, we're going to ask in a, in a few months time, we want to give again into Love Eastbourne. I want enough to not just keep us ticking over and keep this heats and lights on in a, you know, in a giant plastic bag that feels like sometimes all you're doing is turning on a, a hairdryer in it because it's, you know, it is. Not got the best insulation in this room. Um, but there you go. But I don't want to just provide enough for us. We want more than we need so that we can give away generously to the world in which we live in. We respond to the prophetic call of God's and we, we, we provide for all that God calls us to. Where else they draw? They draw in teachers, people who can, with skill and ability, open the word of God and teach and draw our attention to what the word says. You know, just 
Man, I always think, where, I don't even know if Jürgen's here today. Love, what a gift just to get Jürgen just pop up on your door a few years ago, man. I love reading with him because he's a teacher. Just sit with him and he teaches the word of God to receive those gifts as they just arrive into the life of church. And again, this is a room full. I, I'm going to call out a couple of people because I don't mind embarrassing people. Ian Goldsmith, you ping me messages and I love it because you love the word of God. You teach me. You just say, hey, have you seen this in the word? That is a beautiful gift within the church. And again, please don't ever just think those gifts are limited to people that stand on the stage. You know, massive part. Olivia and Judah jumped up on the stage today, didn't they? Up there, they're round and abouts on Rich's feet. They can't keep away from their dad during worship. But you do, like you get that bit. And I just don't want it to be seen that the leadership gifts are only limited to people who ever cross this threshold. It's just not true. Leadership is given out across the church. This life group is full of small group, life group leaders who are faithfully, week after week, teaching the word of God. Ant Hatton, wherever you are. I haven't really got my glasses on, so I think you're there. I could be just pointing at someone with a bald head. (laughs) No, he's Ant. Good. Praise the Lord. (laughs) That would have been embarrassing. Um, But Ant, again, just faithfully teaching into the life of the church, opening God's word, finding it. Praise God for the gifts that exist within the local church. And again, I could, you know, now I'm thinking that I could have done that in other areas. I could point out pastors across this church. There are pastors amongst us that we receive and love. We care and look after one another. For all you think is an elder is going to pastor you, that's a really challenging place to be where you're trying to find five blokes that might turn up in the middle of the night. Just, that would be a weird thing to do anyway. We pastor. The gifts are released into the life of the church. The prophetic voices that speak into us. And then praise God, they're evangelistic. They receive the gifts of the evangelists amongst them. There are evangelists in this room. <laughs> you know it. Go on, just, just take them before I, I could easily say it. Just take a minute. Go on, you think. There are gifted evangelists in this room. Praise God for those skills and those gifts that God's given to us. People who just love, you can't shut them up about telling people about Jesus. Praise God for it. Because we receive those gifts and the church is built because it's never inhibited by its leadership. It releases those gifts into it. Secondly, it's not inhibited by its diversity. Something comes up. So you've got Simon from Cyrene who comes from Cyprus, northeast Libya. They come across North Africa, across the Meds. You've got these Gentile lands. They're not swayed. And that's the amazing thing, actually. That's why I think God starts something in Antioch. Because Antioch was already quite a diverse place. So Jerusalem, in some ways, was a bit inhibited by its ethnic prejudices that had been so embedded into a place like Jerusalem. So I think there were challenges there to overcome. How are we going to welcome? We haven't, the temple has never been a place for the Gentiles to be welcomed. This is quite a gear shift for us. Whereas the church in Antioch was like, we're used to it anyway. We've got people from every tribe and nation anyway. So it was so natural to who they were. And again, just we see that in our own town. Praise God for the increased diversity of a place like Eastbourne. If I'm really honest, when I first moved to Eastbourne from Croydon, I missed growing up with my Ghanaian mates that I had in New Addington. That's the church I went to. It's full of Ghanaians. And I came here, I was like, where's black people in Eastbourne? There's no one here. Because I walk around, I think I miss having black friends. Because I used to grow up with friends that, and I, I enjoyed just celebrating diversity and food. And I loved it. Someone makes mums that would just welcome me into their home. And I felt gutted for my kids a little bit because they used to think, I feel gutted they're not going to grow up with some of the diversity that I enjoyed from growing up in a place like Croydon. Praise God, Eastbourne's changing. 
It is. And actually, praise God, because when I think about it, my kids' classes aren't full of people from different nationalities and nations, but this church is. When my kids come to church, they're in a more diverse environment than they are in their school classroom during the week. And I love that. I love that when they're next door, they're making friends from every tribe and nation and tongue. Because the gospel is not white and British, praise God. You know, Aggie, it's very Greek sometimes, isn't it? It is. And it's beautiful. And we're not limited and inhibited by that diversity. I don't want us to be inhibited by our own ethnic prejudices that can so easily seep into us. Because again, we're the people of God. We're a different people. We've been saved and brought into his family. Every barrier, every, every, every Jew and Gentile, slave and free, everything has been broken that we're now one new man in Christ Jesus. We get welcomed into that. And I want to celebrate it. And I want to enjoy it. And I want to learn from it. I want to be humble enough to say, I ain't got it right. I want to learn. And again, I see that in the church in Antioch. And I rejoice in it. I love it. Because again, you see this bit there running parallel. Peter and Andy said it last week. You know that giant vision that we had of the sheet that was descending from heaven full of animals. And Peter's trying to work out, does that mean this is all right for the Gentiles? Am I allowed to eat meat now? I'm trying to work this out. Is that what that vision means? While that's going on and Peter's having a bit of a thing, the Antioch church is just getting on with seeing Gentiles saved. You know, Peter's having this theological discussion in his head of, is this okay? And the Antioch church is just going, let's just rescue them. There's people that want to find out about who Christ is. Let's welcome them in. Let's draw them in. Let's introduce them to Jesus. Let's baptize them. Let's see their lives being changed and transformed. And we want to be the same with that. See, if you read, and I'm cutting into someone's chapters next week, but in chapter 13, that's when you see you've got Barnabas. He's a Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus. Simeon is a black North African. Lucius is a Roman Gentile from Cyrene. Manaean is a Palestinian aristocrat, which basically means he's posh. Saul is a Pharisee from Asia Minor, but all of that diversity and unity made them strong as a team. They celebrated their differences and they found their unity in Christ and the purposes that they were called to collectively together. So we're going to be as a church. We're going to celebrate our differences and we're going to find our unity in Christ collectively together to outwork his purposes. And then finally... They weren't inhibited. They weren't limited by their vision. They were not small-minded. They were not independent. Again, that's what I, when I messaged out to the church, I just said to some of the other churches around, I was like, and I pray, we pray together and we get to know each other. It's, it's, it's good, healthy unity across the town. But we're not independent. We're not independent. We're the, we're the church. We're, this is our family and we're committed to this family and we love this family and we serve this family. And we give to this family and we, 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 we work alongside one another. But we're not independent. We're not independent. We're not set apart. We're not, we're not, we're not, you're not us, you know. So when we hear stories of baptism and salvation and lives transformed, we cheer it on. Because we don't say, oh, you did two more than us in 21. And I'm going to beat you next year. What, how ugly would that sort of family be? It would be ugly. God's family is not ugly, it's beautiful. And we celebrate each other and we see it and we rejoice in it. And I, even a little thing as well, I say to you, some of you need to forgive people that have gone to other churches. You do. You need to forgive them. Don't hold it, that's ugly. Forgiveness is, you know, forgiveness is beautiful. You need to let go sometimes. 
It's okay. God is about because otherwise we get limited by a small-minded, small vision of we're just trying to do this thing. And God's purposes are never about that. They're always beyond what you think it's about. You're always a part in God's big picture. Praise God you even get a part in it. God loves including us in and all he does. He could do it without us and it'll be a lot easier and a lot quicker. But he doesn't. He works in and through people for some reason. And he loves working through us. So be, receive the Holy Spirit. If you needed to hear that this morning and you're struggling to forgive, the Holy Spirit is your power. Ask him to help you forgive. Because the Holy Spirit enables us to do things that are not humanly possible in and through us. That's why we need him. We need him in the circumstances that we live in. See, it's a local church that thinks globally about all that it does. It's too small a thing to just say, oh, praise God for the barrier that fits between us and getting, you know, even Meads, people put a barrier in Meads, don't they? But, you know, barrier over the hills to get into East Dean or, oh no, what's going on in Bexhill? Oh, that's a bit far from us, isn't it? You know, just let's not do that, that hobbit-like mentality of our little shire that we look after and look into, but see the world that we're called to. Now, we will, there will be many across this room that will, be, that will scatter from this place to the ends of the earth and praise God for it. You know, praise God for when he calls people to his plans and purposes and all that he's doing. Because that's how God works. And they planted churches. And this church, Antioch, planted churches across Asia and Europe. They sent out their best. You know, when there was need for Paul and Barnabas, they didn't hold on to them. They released them and said, let them go. God's got bigger plans and purposes for these people. And they released them into all that they called them to. You know, this is why I want to land because I want to say... We had a prophetic word from a, a lady called Natalie Williams. That's brilliant. She runs the Jubilee Plus team. Um, there's a conference coming up. You might find the flyers in the foyer. It's um, called Churches That Change Communities in Milton Keynes. Soon. I don't know when. I can't remember. Um, but there's flyers in the foyer. And Nat will be speaking at that. And she just burns with a passion that churches transform communities around them. She wants, she's not limited by the vision of small church. She wants church that is, influences and changes and transforms the places they find themselves in. She's at the church in, in um, Hastings. And um, she just gave a prophetic word a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic. It was really interesting. We were a prayer, and, uh, I say fasting, I don't think there is fasting, so let's not call it that. Prayer days um, in Sig Cup. And so we're there, we're just praying with some other new grand churches. And she just said, I feel like Kings is entering into a season and you know, we, sometimes we talk about kings like a big ship. You know, and big ships, they move slowly sometimes because they're hard to change direction. Little ships are nice because you just skip along the surface and the waves and if the wind blows that way, you just turn left, turn right. Big ships take a bit longer to turn, but there's a lot of power in big ships because once they're moving, they big wake that goes behind them and people see them and they can do much that goes across. And so praise God for big ships, big church, big Groups of people that gather to worship God, but momentum and change and direction is hard sometimes because it's only got a little rudder in it. It feels ages like it's turning. But she just said, I just feel like Kings is entering into a season of going into dock. It's going into a season of, of going into dock. But she said, don't stay in dock too long. It's dangerous dock because it's nice and it's safe. There's no wind. There's no waves in the dock. And then someone else, actually it was Phil, who wrote this book. Phil must have heard what she was saying. She said, and remember, Kings is not a cruise ship, it's a pirate ship. <laughs> it's not a cruise ship. Like we're, we're not called to a cruise ship. 
where people have pina coladas on the, on the balcony and we all, look, we all have a lovely time and we sun ourselves and just, you know, have a, have a nice swim and, you know, have a bit of evening entertainment. It's not what this is. It's a pirate ship. It goes out. It invades. And again, you might think of pirates in a negative term. Think about it positively. The adventure of being a pirate. The adventure of going out to places that you've never been and to, and to, to taking things and to, to rescuing people and to draw them into your ship and to, to board other people and say, come on, kingdom of darkness, we're going to invade you. We're not worried about you invading us. We're the people of God's. We're going to invade you. And we're going to snatch people, treasures that are God's treasure, and we're going to bring them onto our ship. We're going to take them from what was once yours, enemy of God's, and we're going to bring them into our own. I remember hearing it and not just saying it and, and then the next the few years happen and the pandemic happens and it does sometimes feel like, you know, been in dock. We don't live on the dock though. And again, I think the reason, you know, I can, you feel the enthusiasm because again, the movement that we're part of, New Frontiers, the sort of churches that, we, that this grew out of in the 70s and 80s, it excited people because it was alive. It excited people because there was adventure. It excited people because the wind was in your hair and the salt was on your lips and you felt like you were on a pirate ship. And actually, again, like Dave Holden said this a little while ago and something we were at, he just said, one of the things that we may have done with people is parked them up. Because we said, oh, we don't need, you know, we'll get on with the adventure. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. Please don't hear that. You got to get on. We got to, you got to grab the sails. You've got to feel the wind in your hair. You've got to feel the adventure of the call of God in life. And again, don't wait. Don't wait for those things because you'll just sit on the dock watching other people sailing. Get in the water again. Enjoy what it's like. Enjoy what it's like to be caught up in the promises of God. Julia and Keith Sullivan, isn't it? Last week, caught in, I don't know why I'm going to Shrewsbury, but I feel God's leading me. Just say yes to God sometimes. I want us to be like as a church. Just say yes to God because God wants to work in and through us. This is a beautiful church. God's began an incredible work in us. We live in the foundation that has been set before. This is, a, this is a beautiful group of people that love Jesus. This is effective, but God's got so much more for us. So we want to step into all the hours. We want to listen to the prophetic call. We want to know what God's calling us to. And we want to be ready to say yes for the adventure that lies ahead. I'm going to pray. We're not going to, we're not, uh, no, we're not going to sing. I'm just going to pray and then we're going to finish. You're going to join me? Okay. Cool. Uh, normally, <laughs> normally people just pray their preach. That's normally what happens. Just to make sure that we got it. I, we all know it. I know that you know it. Sometimes people start praying. You're like, you're just praying your preach again. You've just preached for 40 minutes. Why am I now listening to you pray your preach? I'd love us also to pray because you're, you're leading a team to Berlin yeah, this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's a team of about eight, uh, ten people going to Berlin from this church to, to serve and to, to work alongside the church in Berlin for a few days. Yeah, yeah, adventure. So, yeah, yeah it's all part of this Antioch stuff. So yeah. why don't you pray and then I'll come yeah. on the back of that. Yeah, great. Yeah, Lord, I love, I love you. It's where we start. We love you, Lords. Lord, I, I love it. We, we prayed it first thing this morning. Don't, don't, not doing it to win. Not doing it, not doing it, Lord, to try and impress you. Do it because we love you, Lord. We love you. You have captured our hearts. You're our greatest desire. You're the thing that we, we, we long for more than anything else. And we thank you, Lord, that you work in and through us, your people. So we invite you, Holy Spirit,
come upon us again. Your, your great pleasure, your chosen people, your set-apart saints, your ones that have been rescued from darkness, come upon us. Lift our gaze again to all that you've got for us, Lord. Lord, it is too small a thing to hold on to this. So, Lord God, we let go. We look forward to all that you call us to. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, equip us again. I want to go from here this morning again, excited, impassioned, stirred, provoked, called by you again to serve your plans and purposes. Do that in and through. And my dear friends, this, this beautiful family, Lord God, work in and through us. Thank you, Lord God, for what you have begun in us. We look forward to that that is going to be completed. You are going to complete your great mission of the church. It's begun. It cannot be stopped. So we receive all that you have for us. Change and transform this world in and through your people. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things. Amen. Yes, Lord. And we also pray for, for Ollie and Wend and the whole team that are going off to Berlin on Thursday for a few days, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity that you've opened up for them to work alongside the church there, that new church plant. Lord God, I pray for just real encounters with the Holy Spirit, opportunities to encourage that church plant, but also to share the love of Jesus Christ with those that don't know you. Lord God, I pray do something amongst those in Berlin, that that church there, but also do something amongst those that are being sent. Amen. Lord, create a, a new appetite for your adventure, for Amen. Holy Spirit Amen. adventure. Amen. And we pray that this will actually just be another down payment on all the things that you want to do going forward with us as a church. Lord, you're going to scatter this church. Yeah, and we really receive that, Lord. And we thank you for your blessing upon uh, what's going to happen in the next few days in Berlin. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, it says in, in Jude 1, uh, it just finishes off with these words. It's doxology. And we're going to finish off with these words as a church this morning. Jude says this, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore Amen 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 Amen, church let's go into the week go as carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ we look forward to seeing you again soon bye for now